The following guided meditation was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Nice to see everybody tonight on a snowy night. And it's just nice to settle into the feel of the community, a bunch of us gathering, and to remember that human beings have been doing something like this for a long time, finding some value in these teachings from a human being long ago who had a mind, a body, and got interested, took one's attention, turned it inward toward the mind itself, and learned something, woke up, as we say, in a way that powerfully changed that person's life. And he was able to articulate, in a way, create some maps so that upon hearing these maps some 2,500 years later, we can learn something about our mind. And one of these maps is this map about the underlying nature of our, you know, what's here and now as a natural process, not referring back to anything. So in Buddhism we call that, or the word is anatta, or not self. But it really means that what's here and now, any moment will do, but it's not a new thing. I used to be a self, but now I'm not a self. It's really a way of understanding one way of understanding what this is, right? Because how I understand, how I frame my experience, that's always in play. So it's not about like what is the absolute truth, but what's useful or skillful or helpful. So it's a little bit just to kind of get us set up for the sitting time, and I'll give some instructions We'll take care of some of the nuts and bolts of the course right after the sit. And then I'll launch into a discussion about these teachings from the Buddha. But one of the things we do at the beginning of the Buddha studies classes always is we do a little chanting. It's a really sweet thing that helps us come together as a community, singing together, chanting together. An age-old trick to create community harmony. So we'll engage in that. And we most often chant the three traditional refuges. And so most of you have a copy. A lot of you know this. It's pretty simple and it repeats itself. And it's you know, Buddhist code for our practice. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, we're not taking refuge in that person who lived 2,500 years ago. Right? We're, and we're not even in a real sense taking refuge in the teachings we're taking refuge in what those teachings point to. So in that sense, Buddha, the word Buddha, means awake, awakened, or as Ajahn Sumedho likes to say, awakenness, right? Like that's here and now. This capacity to be awake, this capacity to be aware in a stable and balanced way, I really, I count on that. I rely on that. I feel in my heart like a a real heart sense of valuing being devoted to awareness. This capacity, it's different than just what we normally mean by consciousness, 
Like you could have driven here tonight and you were conscious about when to turn, when to slow down, when to speed up. But maybe in moments you were actually aware that you were conscious. So it's a reflective knowing that it's like this. That's much more rare than being conscious. You know, when we're not in a drugged stupor or fast asleep, there's consciousness. But even though maybe there are 18 hours of consciousness or thereabouts, not so many moments of that reflective awareness or that mindful awareness where there's a real stable clarity. Oh yeah, this is being known. It's like this. So when, the you know, over time with practice, we see what a valuable uh, capacity or quality of the heart or the mind that that is. And we start to have like a devotional quality about it. And it's very much connected with the next refuge, Dhamma, the way it is, because we're not connected with the way it is without Buddha, without that reflective, awakened knowing. It's that reflective, awakened, knowing that calm, interested or curious presence that can actually has the capacity to be intimate. Not what I think is happening right now. It's not my mental or cognitive interpretation, but it's just a more direct and simple and immediate connecting, knowing, touching, being touched with with what? Well, with the five physical senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, and tasting, and all that mental activity. It's really seeing, knowing, feeling that, but not that experience not dependent or mediated by my thoughts about it. There may be thoughts, but thoughts are just part of that dance of that movement of the present moment, what we call Dhamma. So Dhamma means the way it is. Buddha knows Dhamma. We take refuge in that marriage of Buddha knowing Dhamma. The awakened, the reflectively aware heart, sensitive heart, being open, connecting with, being intimate with, being touched by Dhamma, the way it is. What's coming and going? What's moving? In terms of these six things, mental activity, that full range of mental activity that's moving, sounds and sights and touches, and to some degree smells and tastes. That's always in motion to a very large degree. And that's what we mean by Dhamma. And so taking refuge in Dhamma means we're not blaming Dhamma. We're not trying to get out of the moment. We're not presuming that the moment's like God made some mistake. This moment's not supposed to be this way. The sounds I'm hearing, the sights I'm seeing, the sensations I'm feeling, the thoughts I'm thinking, this is not how it's supposed to be. So you see the chant we do where we're in a devoted way, right? It's a devotional practice to take refuge in awareness in the way it is. And then Sangha is like who we are as a personality, as somebody in relationship to everything, to the world, to each other. So Sangha is what's born out of Buddha knowing Dhamma. So you can't be Sangha unless 
your Buddha knowing Dhamma. Because when you're intimate in the moment, awake, open, curious, that quality of Buddha is alive in the moment for you, and therefore connecting with Dhamma the way it is, then your response, what you say and don't say, how you hold yourself, how you show up, that will um, reflect the beauty of Buddha knowing Dhamma. So how you show up in those moments when there's Buddha knowing Dhamma will be, will stand out. Not, you know, that you'll be walking on water, but there's, you know, we see this at times. Somebody, a friend, a somebody we happen to be around, they're in that place of being Buddha, knowing Dhamma. And there's, we feel just in a very organic way, we feel grateful to be around that person. There's something like, you know, we have phrases like they're comfortable in their own skin. You know, oh, that person was so real, so organically loving, naturally loving, right? So we, we have words we can put on it, but that doesn't mean that that person was trying to be special. It just means that when Buddha is intimate with Dhamma, then how we show up reflects the depth and breadth and beauty of Buddha knowing Dhamma. And that sort of summarizes our practice, right? We're identifying, you know, first initially just intellectually with words, this capacity to be awake, to be mindfully aware, where we talk about what we're going to wake up to, like the defilements, the negative tendencies of our conditioned mind, or pain in the body, or a disturbing sound, or somebody's cell phone going off because they forgot to turn it off. And uh, so that's Dhamma, but Buddha knows how to be intimate with Dhamma. It's just another thing being known. And this is where we find anatta, the impersonal nature, that liberating truth that the Buddha highlights in so many different ways that we'll be covering these eight weeks. It's really in that Buddha knowing Dhamma. And the more that that understanding of anatta, the impersonal nature, is something that's directly intuited, then sangha becomes more and more fearless. The personality shows up in all the little ordinary ways, brushing our teeth, taking care of our child, feeding the dog, going to work, but with weight lifted off our back that we didn't even know was there. And so... Sangha is really that enlightened action, action arising out of a mind and body that isn't being oppressed by ignorance, by wrong view, by sense, a sense of separation or sense of not being good enough or wanting to prove I'm better than those oppressive, you know, and there's an infinite variety of those oppressive conceptions of who I am that mostly we're carrying on our back. We have our top five or whatever that we inhabit most of the time, oppressing ourselves. But sangha means being free of that for a moment or for a couple moments until we put it back on. 
because of the force of habit, the self-centered habits that are deeply ingrained, deep grooves, to go back to our patterns, right? So we'll chant this. And when you look at this, for those who aren't familiar, you, we chant it once. I take the first, the translation is basically, I take refuge in the Buddha, that awakened or mindful awareness. I take refuge in Dhamma, the way it is. I take refuge in Sangha, enlightened, beautiful activity. And then Dutyampi just means for the second time. And then that third stanza, Tatyampi, just means for the third time. So we take refuge three times. And from the time of the Buddha on, all cultures, right, they would use the Pali language, right? And it sort of connects us with our spiritual ancestors in this way. So it's a sweet thing. And if you're not a devotional type, bear with us, those of us who are devotional types, because it can be really sweet. And so even if you're not a devotional type, you might just experiment by sort of putting your heart into it, and you'll pick up the tune. It's very simple. So let's do the three refuges together to begin our sitting time. dimming the lights, and we'll just settle into our sitting time. 
finding a way for the posture itself to reflect this intention to be both alert and relaxed, a willingness to sit right in the middle of things, unafraid, kind, tender-hearted, knowing that it's not easy being a human being. And of course, one of the first things that's felt is this body, the sitting body. And of course, the sitting body is going to reflect of the cumulative stress of this life. And so we heroically say yes to the body, even if it's uncomfortable. Yes, this is how the body is right now. And we do our best to soften and receive and hold and allow the sensations now in the body to come and go as they will. Breathing in, being sensitive, being open. Breathing out, being sensitive and open to the whole body just as it is. We're beginning by simply connecting and feeling at home as best we can with this reality of embodiment, the body sitting here, breathing in, sensitive to the whole body, while breathing out, sensitive or open to the whole body. This is an act of love to receive the sensations as they actually are, not needing the body, the sensations to be different. Learning to not resist and to not deny. Not to fix, not to need to fix.
And if you can, even if what you're opening to is difficult, if you can sense something beautiful about this grounding, this opening to the way that it is, Buddha knowing Dhamma, something beautiful about this willingness to be intimate, this willingness to feel what's here to feel as you breathe in and as you breathe out. Everything's included. Nothing's left out. Not needing the conditions here in the moment to be different than they are. And we'll take some time now to take up these reflections that Joseph Goldstein mentions in the article that I sent out. I'm sure a few of you saw that. Just sitting, calm, relaxed, 
and let the attention open to the simple experience of hearing. Being curious, being open. It's not about connecting with a particular sound in the room, but a more relaxed and open attention to the different sounds coming and going, the flow or the movement of sounds being heard, sounds being known. So there are very subtle sounds, background sounds of humming sometimes. And then there are the more specific sounds that arise and pass quickly. The flow of sounds like the blower, the furnace blower. Clearly there is the knowing of sounds. And then we'll take a few minutes in a relaxed way and just see if you can find who's knowing or what's knowing the sounds. So there's knowing, sounds are being known, being heard. So just check in your own experience in a simple way and see if you can find the one who is knowing the sounds. So to undertake this reflection, giving our attention to that flow of sound being known here in the moment. And then just adding this curiosity about, is there anybody that can be directly seen who is doing the knowing? Or is all we can say that there is knowing of the hearing.
And so you won't be surprised. I'll just let you know. I'm going to make some light sounds by pounding the striker on the lectern. And just notice when that sound is heard. Just use that opportunity to notice if there's somebody or something doing the hearing. Some of the later texts you might find something like hearing is, hearing happens, but no hearer can be found. It's something to reflect on. And so we'll move on to a second contemplation that Joseph recommends in that short article. Again, just as best you can, sitting comfortably, relatively still, relatively relaxed. Not really trying to do anything special, just being here. And now we're going to turn the attention to thinking. It's not about specifically thinking about anything, but just being aware of the thoughts that come and go naturally neither for nor against the thoughts that come and go, but simply do your best to observe them arising and then, of course, quickly passing away. That's the very nature of a thought. It doesn't really last very long. Notice that, how a thought arises and then ends very quickly. And see if you can notice how wispy or almost nothing a thought actually is. So we're just trying to, in a more honest and direct way, noticed, notice what a thought is as a phenomena, a mental phenomena, you could say. So try that for a few minutes. Just do your best. And it helps if you cultivate an interest to catch the thought at the very beginning as it shows up in the mind.
And of course, include any thoughts about the practice that arise and pass in the mind. Any thought will do. And it's even okay if you purposefully generate a thought in order to observe it. But it's more fun and interesting just to be patient and allow thoughts to do what thoughts do. They show up and very quickly are gone. Just take that in, the very nature of a thought. sure you're finding that it takes a very particular interest to catch thoughts. What the mind wants to do is look in a particular place, but thoughts can arise from any place. So it's more like a relaxed and full, broad attention to the present moment. Letting go of this practice, feel the body sitting, 